you're listening to the Omega Church Sermon of the Week. Be sure to subscribe to this channel to stay up to date with our latest teachings and feel free to reach out to us via our Facebook page or website. As you listen to this message, we pray God will reveal himself to you in a fresh way. Good morning, church. We are doing a series on Psalms. So last time we did Psalm 46, and today we are doing Psalm 51. Now, Psalm 51 is the, the seven penitentiary Psalms. That means the Psalms of confession, Psalms where the psalmist repents of his sin and he connects with God. And this is one of the Psalms, and most famous Psalm. And this Psalm has been a source of comfort to many saints. There's been many, uh, a comfort, uh, source of comfort to many saints. And uh, I think it was uh, William Carey, he said, let this chapter be read at my funeral. And uh, many other saints have they expressed similar kind of desire at crucial times in their life, they turn to Psalm 51. Now Psalm 51 has a background when you see uh, in your Bible, it will say it has been for the director of music, a Psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So that's the context. But where will you find this story? You'll find in 2 Samuel chapter 11, 12, and 13. So it is difficult to go through the whole three chapters, but I'll try to summarize what happened so that you will understand when you read the psalm, it becomes more meaningful. First thing that uh, happens here, you see in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. If you see the previous chapter 10, there was a war with the Ammonites, but the war was not conclusive. In the sense, no one won. They retreated, they went back into the city walls, and then Joab returns to Jerusalem. That means they called off the war. The war was not won because King David was not present. So this is the thing the Lord has taught him, that every battle he wages with other people, King himself should also go into the war. That is what God was teaching King David. So the war was fought, it was not concluded. No one won, they just withdrew. That was happened. In chapter 11, again the spring season comes, and Joab, with his all the army of Israel, go and attack, defeat the, uh, they're attacking the city here. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. When he remained in Jerusalem, what happens? He's taking an afternoon sister, afternoon nap, and he's walking on the terrace or the roof of the palace, back and forth. And then when he was walking, he sees a woman bathing. Now, that's not very uncommon in those days. Even in my younger days, in, in, the, in the villages, there are no specified bathrooms as such. Men, though, they don't need a bathroom. They just draw the water and pour it on their head from the well and they take bath, that's it. Or if the field is there and the, you got a um, irrigation pump that is pumping, 
water from the deep inside the well. You go sit under the powerful force of the jet, and then you are more cleaner than applying soap because the force of water cleans you thoroughly. <laughs> if you apply soap, your skin will become white, dry, because the, all the moisture and oil in your body, natural body, it goes. So back in David's time, I believe that there were no bathrooms with roofs and all that. So if women want to take bath, they will have something woven out of bamboo or something uh, to hide their body. If they stand up, you can see their head or whatever. That means just enough to cover them, this little privacy. And then they take bath there. And if somebody is in a roof of a house, it's easy to see all these kind of things. Seeing is not a problem. The problem came for David because he focused on it. He focused on it. A chance happening, you cannot stop. But what happens the next second, you can stop. What happens without your planning, you cannot stop it. But what happens the next second, you can stop. And King David has not done it. Now some commentators think this is not a new problem King David has. He has had nearly seven wives by then. Six wives by then. Seventh was Bathsheba, basically, later on in the story. So what he did was, he was giving himself to unrestrained fulfilling of his desire. What did he do? Unrestrained fulfilling of desire. If his eyes see something, a woman, and he likes her, and he wanted her to be his wife. And this is not very uncommon among the kings. Particularly his son outbeat him much more. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines, total 1,000. And they led his heart away in his old age. And he became an idolater. And God was angry with Solomon, basically. So King David, what he planted for 20 years, has come to a climax now in this event of the Bathsheba case. So if one woman cannot satisfy, then 10 cannot satisfy, 100 cannot satisfy, 1,000 cannot satisfy. That's the reason why God called marriage a holy matrimony, we call it. Why we call it holy matrimony? It's one-to-one, one, a commitment lifelong to love, to cherish, to enjoy, to rejoice in one person. To enjoy and rejoice in one person. That is a Christian model. And when that is not being honored, he has gone after so many already. And now one more is not a problem. But the so many he did were all right because he did not kill anybody. But in this case, he basically stole somebody's wife. What did he do? He stole somebody's wife. When somebody's married and you desire them, you're stealing them. So that is what the word says. And this was a problem of David. And then when he saw, he sent a person to find out who she is. He comes back with the report. Oh, she is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. He was not even a Jewish man. But he was one of the heroes among his um, uh, soldiers or his army. One of the 30 strong men, one of the 30 skilled warriors. And Bathsheba was the daughter of Elam. Elam was the son of Ahithophel. And Ahithophel was the advisor to King David. Whatever he said, it was taken as if an oracle from God and people obeyed. So wise was Ahithophel. 
and because of this thing that he has done to Bathsheba by killing Uriah, Ahithophel turned against him later, conspiring with son Absalom. And that left, that did a lot of damage again. But the point here is, what you sow, you reap. What you sow, you reap. So you need to be careful to know what you are sowing in your life. That's very important. So here what we see here is, he was on the roof, roof of the palace, walking to and fro, looks at her and lusts after her, and then sends person, come, he brings her to his palace. And then, actually it says, the word says very clearly, that she, she had purified herself from her uncleanness. That is referring to her monthly period, whatever it is. And usually the Jewish people would say seven days after the blood flow ceases, they had to be, they remain unclean, and then they take a bath. So when he saw her taking bath, she was purifying herself, basically. And that is also the period of ovulation begins. So one event, one accident, she became pregnant. And then she sends a message to him saying, I am pregnant. And what does he do? He calls Uriah back from the battlefield and invites him for a meal. And um, he sends a gift to him. He says, oh, you have come from battle, you are very tired, go home and sleep. This guy, he was more faithful than King David. He was more patriotic towards the nation than King David himself was. And he slept near the gates. And the report went to him that Uriah did not go home. So next day he calls him again. Hey, what did you do? Come on, let's eat and enjoy. And made him drunk so that he can go home and sleep. So that the child that is born, going to be born can be put on his name. Look at the way. Second Samuel chapter 11 is all about King David trying to hide his sin. He's trying to hide his sin. That is, a, that is all that you see there. And when, he, when the, that night Uriah was drunk, but he was not drunk, too drunk to go home to sleep. Instead he slept again in the gates with the other men who were waiting there. And when he heard about it again, he calls him the next morning, gives him a letter to Joab to put him in a place where the battle is the fiercest, where the enemy is strong, so that he can be killed by the enemy's arrow or by the stone they throw or the spear they throw, whatever it is. And what happens? He was carrying his own death sentence to Joab. He writes in the letter, put him in the strong place where the enemy is strong. And Joab, is he a foolish guy? Not to understand what King David is having in his mind. He knows. He wants him killed. So he puts him in the place where the battle is the fiercest. And he was killed. When the report was sent back, the man tells everything that happened on that day. And your servant Uriah the Hittite is also dead. You can read the story in more detail. You will see more power there in the scripture. But he has done two things now. One is adultery. Second is murder. The Old Testament law has sacrifices for unintentional sin, not for intentional sin. The sacrifice will forgive you and cover your sin for what? Unintentional sin, not for intentional sin. And death is the penalty for what he has done. Death is the penalty. But he will not repent. After the news reaches her that the husband got killed in the battle. She observes a period of mourning. 
she was grieving for the husband and after the period is over maybe 7 days king brings her to the palace she becomes his wife and then they have a son son is born and after the son is born born all this time nearly one year at least 9 months let's say or 10 months 9 months king david has not repented king david has not repented sometimes we know we have sinned but we don't repent sometimes we prolong it we don't want to face our own shortcomings our own failure and god has a way of reaching out to our heart god has a way of reaching out to our heart and god always deals with mercy even though his judgment is come the judgment is mixed with love mixed with goodness mixed with long term plans and then what happens god speaks to a prophet by name nathan that you see in chapter 12 of second samuel he says go and confront david so he comes to king david and he gives him a story story of um, a poor man who had only one ewe lamb you know one female sheep and it was like a daughter to him it is to eat from his plate sleep in his lap and it is to, it just you know it is a parable the parable is you intensify things and uh, sometimes it is not uncommon for a jewish man who is poor to own just one sheep and he was having just only one ewe lamb and it was like a daughter to him and then he, there was a rich man who had plenty of sheep and oxen and everything and he had a traveler visit him and instead of taking one of his own sheep and kill it for the traveler what he does is he actually takes this poor man's sheep or the ewe lamb and kills it and feeds the traveler when king david heard the story he became very angry furious he rises up and says that man should die he has given a judgment and he should give back four sheep for one sheep that he has stolen he literally stole the one sheep and it should be restored by four sheep being given back and uh, king uh, prophet nathan turns to king and says thou art that man thou art that man you are that man you are that man that has stolen the sheep that belonged to uriah the hittite i have given you wives i have given you power i have given you glory i have given you kingdom i have taken away the kingdom from saul king saul and given it to you i have given his wives into your arms i have given you glory i have given you a lot of money whatever you did i have given you if you wanted more i would have given you but why did you do this the word of god says the it displeased the lord king david then said to nathan i have sinned against the lord now that is the most beautiful thing about king david today in the world there are a dozen people who are running their nations who make laws that suit them i don't want to name the nations okay you if you are aware of political situation you know it and in france the highest court <laughs> no that is different issue this is different issue <laughs> in france a guy under the influence of uh, marijuana he pushed a woman who is more than 60 year old from the building 
and killed her. And the highest court says he is, he is not liable for the punishment and let him go scot-free because he was under, under the influence of a drug. He was not normal. So he was being, he's being treated in the psychiatric ward now. So the president of France, um, he says, I'm sorry to what is happening here, but we are going to change the law now. And we are going to retry him again. If he doesn't do that, all the Jewish people will be unhappy. It will set a new trend in the world to kill a Jewish man and get away. What I'm trying to say here is, why we have to appreciate King David is, being a king, the most powerful man, when a prophet comes and confronts him, he repented and said, I'm sorry. I have done it. I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. And I tell you, they are the most beautiful words that he has uttered. And there is hope for every person who sins. And I tell you, in this case, not only, and afterwards what happens? He gives the judgment. The son born to you will die. And after Nathan leaves the place, the, the son born to Bathsheba and David became sick for a week, seven days. You read the story. I will not go more into details. But the son was dead. And afterwards, what he said? You used the sword of the Ammonites to kill Uriah the Hittite. Therefore, the sword will not leave your house. The sword will not leave your house. What a bitter, harsh word, judgment the Lord has given. But there will be mercy always in it. We don't know how it works. But God, there's a mercy. Everything God says. Even when he, when, he, when he put curse upon the serpent, on the man and the woman, you know, on the earth, there is grace in it. There is a hope in it. And here, even though David committed adultery and brought Bathsheba into the home, made, him, made her his own wife, God took away the son born to them. But when the next son was born, Solomon, God sends the prophet Nathan, tells him, name him Jedidiah, because I love him. Because I love him. And God blessed Solomon in such a way that there was no other king as powerful as him, as wise as him, as glorious as him. But yet he fell from God's grace, God's favor by sin, by idolatry. And when you go, when you look into Matthew chapter 1, you will see that Jesus is born into the family of King Solomon. But when you look into the information in the book of Luke, you will see that he is connected to Nathan, another son of David who is not known much. That he became somehow connected to the priestly thing and that's how that flows into and comes on Mary's side. Both sides, they are connected to two sons. Probably God did not have Solomon in his mind before he committed sin. But when he committed sin and Bathsheba comes into his life, God does not say, because of this sin, I will never bless Bathsheba, I will never bless David, he never says that. So whatever sin we commit in our life is not the end of the world if we repent. If we repent and come to God and say, God, I have sinned against you, you only have I sinned. And when we come to that confession, when we make the confession, God will restore and turn the curse into blessing. Say to the neighbor, God will turn curse into blessing. But we had to repent. When we repent, he will turn curse into blessing. So whatever condition that you are in, he, he did not say, okay, now that uh, matter has been exposed, 
Now you throw away Bathsheba, he did not say. So sometimes, many people go through, you know, marriage, divorce, these things are common these days. Whatever situation God calls you, remain in that condition. God will bless. But turn your heart to God. Seek him. People, many, many marriages begin with fornication. And many marriages begin, many times begins with adultery. But if you turn to God, God will bless. That's the reason why we have to cry out like the psalmist, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew your right spirit within me. That's very important. And when we come to that, your past becomes history. Whoever is in Christ, behold, all things old have passed away, everything has become new. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. The gospel is, is not going to make remember your history, but to create history. It is not remember your past, but to give you a new future, a new glory, a new, new glorious future. But it begins with repentance and coming to God. And when you see in chapter 13, King David will go into the battle again and the rabbi was taken. So he did not go into the war for more than one year. And ultimately he obeyed God and went into the war. And the war was won decisively in favor of Israel. And I tell you, if we want to be victorious in, in our lives, we need to fight the battle of the Lord, not our battles. We should not be roaming on the rooftops. We should be in the battlefield. So that's the reason why prayer becomes very important. You want to be victorious in your personal life, you must become a man or a woman of prayer. Spend time in prayer. If you don't pray, enemy will come and attack you. And you're not prepared for it. You're not prepared for it. If, you're, if, you're, if our marriages are being attacked by the enemy, because we are praying less. One of the other things I learned recently is to bless. Bless the person who is offending you. Bless the person who is offending you. Even if, it is, even if it is a marriage where one person is offending, bless them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You bless them every day, three times a day. You will see things change. A friend of mine, when I passed on a book about blessing, he says, I walk into my workplace now, people are afraid of me. Why? Because I pray for them and bless them. Before they used to give trouble to him, not obey him, do what he tells him. But now he doesn't do anything. They say, oh, he's coming. Let's just do right things. Why? Because he started to bless the people who don't agree with him. So this principle of blessing works in marriage, at work, everywhere it works. Begin to bless and you will come back to me and tell me in less than a month, things are changing. Things are changing. You may not love, the love must have gone away from your heart, but begin to bless and the love will come back. Begin to bless, emotions will change. Begin to bless, situation will change. Begin to bless, people will change. Everything will become new. Why? That's the principle of God. God has blessed that principle of blessing. And when you bless, you are blessed. So now in the light of the story that we see in 2 Samuel 11, 12, and 13, when you see here, he says, Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. 
he's calling for have mercy on me in hebrew it simply means haneni haneni means have mercy on me o oh god have mercy on me he's calling for god's covenant faithfulness and love when god revealed himself as yahweh yahweh's jehovah in hebrew jehovah means god is a faithful god he is faithful to himself he is a god of love and mercy and he stands by that and when when he, when the king david he has all the power all the glory all the influence all the money all the king, kings are surrendering to me surround all the kings around him are surrendering to him but now he is coming like a beggar have mercy upon me o god show me your hesed show me your mercy show me your mercy he is crying out for the mercy when we are convicted of our sin we have to come like a beggar and ask god for mercy and when we acknowledge that we deserve nothing what can a beggar deserve nothing whatever he receives is a blessing so we come to god with that kind of attitude oh god i am poor i got nothing but please bless me i am pleading by your unfaith by your unfailing faithfulness account your great mercy account your great compassion how mercy on me and he says blot out my transgression you will see the same word again in verse 9 blot out all my iniquity what is this blot out you have written something on the scroll and something is wrong in it what do you do you have to blot out what is written the mistake has to be blotted out the error has to be blotted out has to be removed if it is a slate you can put your hand and wipe it off but you can't do it on a scroll scroll it becomes more permanent the ink is dries up quickly but he says blot out is it possible it is possible by the blood of jesus every sin will be blotted out that blood is powerful to blot out every every history of our life all our past can be made clean and we will become whiter than snow whiter than snow the snow will look darker and blacker compared to your life because you will be whiter than snow blot out my transgression he uses different words my transgressions my iniquity my sin you look at the word there verse 2 uh, verse 1 blot out my transgression verse 2 wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin so all these three different words all different has different nuances of explaining sin falling short missing the mark all those kinds of things but he is not saying somebody else sin is he the only one party who is responsible for this sin when he called bathsheba to his palace did bathsheba resist hey king i'm sorry you can't do this she didn't do she was a willing party to it but he did not blame her he said, my sin i have sinned against you against you only have i sinned all sin is primarily against god first all sin is primarily against god first you think about joseph in the old testament when potiphar's wife caught him by hand saying come lie with me he ran away from her and in the process the upper garment that he was wearing was left behind and she took that upper garment and told the husband see this hebrew slave whom you brought into the house tried to molest me when i cried he ran away i got this cloth in my hand now as a proof and is put into jail 
I tell you, compare with Joseph and David. Who was having a worse temptation? Who was having a more severe temptation? Joseph did. But we have a promise. Paul writes to Corinthians, there's no temptation that will overtake you that you cannot withstand. That you cannot withstand. So you may think the whole world is crushing on me. Tsunami is coming over me. But if God is allowing the tsunami of temptation to come over you, he's trusting you to overcome it. He's trusting you to overcome it. And he has done the provision by his death upon the cross, by his precious blood that is shedding the precious blood. He has made the provision for you to overcome. And in the book of Revelation it says, they have overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of the testimony. You speak it out and you claim the blood to overcome every temptation. Every test, every trial in your life, you can overcome by the blood. And he says, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. What is it, the figure that he has in mind is like washing clothes, dirty clothes. In David's time, do you think they had the persil and all kinds of uh, uh, laundry powders and liquids? And no, they didn't. So how did they wash the clothes? They used to have some kind of a soil that had soda in it. Soil that has soda. Before soda was invented, you know, washing soda was invented. They used to take the soil, big vessel they'll take, put your clothes in it, pour water in it, and then put that soil in that soil you add into that, and then boil it. And then if you have a stone there by the pond, you will strike it on the pond. And then you will put it there on the stone, and you'll stamp, I mean, stamping on it, I mean, standing on it, and, you know, all the vigorous things that you do until the dirty cloth becomes clean. What he's saying is, do a thorough job of God. Please, don't leave any stain behind. Don't leave any stain behind. He says, please deal with me more. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Do a thorough job with me. That is a sign of repentance. So many times I tell you in our lives, we may have many chambers in our life. Let's say your, house, your life is like a 10 room, 10 bedroom house. You have become a believer. You are believing in Jesus. You are saying, Lord, you are my God. You be Lord of my house. But those three rooms, don't ever visit them. The seven rooms are okay, but not those three rooms. And then you walk with God. You pray again, read the Bible, pray again, read the Bible. So after some time, you say, no, 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 I have to let God more control. Okay, I give one more room, but not those two last rooms. Then again, you grow a little more in the Lord. You say, that one last room is there. Please don't visit that one room. I tell you, until you surrender the, every room to the Lord, you will never become clean. The day you become clean is the day you regain your power over Satan. And Satan is happy as long as you don't surrender all your rooms of your life to God. He's very happy. Nine rooms you surrender to God. One room you are telling, no entry here. You're putting a board there to the Lord. No entry. Ask the Lord now. I want to pull down that sign. Have entry into that room as well. What room you don't want God to visit today? Pull down that sign and say, Lord, enter my room now. I give all my life to you. I got no secrets to hide. And I tell you, you will feel a new freedom. 
you will gain a new freedom when you invite the lord and surrender your house to him completely to him you will receive a new freedom you will receive a new power your eyes will be open your ears will be open to hear his voice surrender to him completely like king david is asking cleanse me thoroughly cleanse me thoroughly i know my transgressions and my sin is always before me you know what is he trying to say he committed sin one year ago but it is like a person walking in front of me all the time he is personifying the sin and is imagining the sin is walking in front of him every day he is sitting on his throne but the sin is standing there he is sleeping in the bedroom he is standing in the corner it's there always before him that is guilt that is guilt the power of confession is the day you confess to god and say god forgive me i have sinned against you only against you i have sinned the day you say it that will die that guilt will die that guilt will die the moment you say oh god i turn to you now forgive my sin immediately that guilt will die against you only have i sinned and done what is evil in your sight in fact joseph when when the when potiphar's wife catches him by hand he says you are my master's wife he gave everything into my hand how can i do such a thing against my god is not against it is going to be sin against potiphar 100% but primarily he says if i do anything i will be sinning against god so that understanding we must have in our heart that every sin is primarily against god when king david committed sin against bathsheba he committed sin against uriah he committed sin against his own wife he wives and he committed sin against his own children he committed sin against his kingdom he committed sin against everything he's connected with his life is connected with but primarily sin is against god so we have to settle with god first and then he goes on to say in chapter in verse 5 surely i was sinful at birth sinful from the time my mother conceived me surely you desire truth in the in, inward inner parts you teach me wisdom in the inmost place so now he's not trying to blame his mother in sin my mother conceived me that means is my, my mother is at fault he's not saying that what he's trying to say is sin is more deeper than we understand by birth we are born into with the sinful nature if you take a pig and wash it and spray the nicest and the best perfume on it and then you show some slush there dirty outlet or whatever the drain is flow open drain is there next second you'll jump into it sinful nature is like that pig we come under the washing of the blood of christ we come under the washing of the word but if the nature has to be uprooted if that nature is not uprooted it is going to make us commit sin again that's the reason why we have to repent and come to the cross and when the cross has done a deeper work in us the work of sanctification then you will resist sin you will de- desist sin and you will re- repel sin and you will dislike sin and you will hate sin so we need to expose ourselves to the blood of christ see how much he loved you see how much he has loved you and sacrificed for you and as you worship him and look into the cross every day and worship him thank him worship him thank him your heart becomes cleaner and cleaner and cleaner 
justification by faith, the day you turn to Christ, you are justified, as if you never sinned. But the guilt will try to come again and again and again. You have to deal with guilt. That's the reason why you need to confess it and believe the word of God. And God never takes your past and holds it in the hand and says, Oh, I know in 1977 you did this, 1980 you did this, 1985 you did this. No. You come to God, he forgives you and forgets your sin. Once for all. It's finished. It's finished. So we need to have that understanding very clear. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Hyssop is a plant, hairy plant. They used to use it for sprinkling the blood and the water to purify things. And if a leper is there, and leper comes to the high priest, he'll shut him up in the house for seven days and bring him out. out. They'll check the spot where you, the leper, leprosy was there. If it has it become grown, has it grown it, has it gone deeper? If it is not, he'll shut him up again for seven days. And then he will say, okay, it is not growing, so you're not a leper. But to declare him clean, a priest will dip his soap with the sacrificial blood, sprinkle on the man, he'll be declared clean. If the leprosy disappears, the skin infection disappears, then the priest has to examine him and dip his soap in the blood and water, sprinkle on the man, and he'll become clean. So what he's saying is, my sin is like leprosy. My sin is very heinous. My sin makes me unclean. But cleanse me with his soap. I want you to declare me clean. Who can declare you clean? Only the blood of Jesus. Only the blood of Jesus. Cleanse me with his soap and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear the joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquity. Everything that prayer of David is answered to us in Jesus Christ in, his, in the cross. Every prayer, every word of his prayer is answered for us in Christ Jesus. For him, it was not answered. But for us, we look back to 2,000 years ago, it's already done. By his stripes, we are healed. By, his, by, by the blood he shed, we are forgiven. Forgiven once for all. And now the most famous words come. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. That's a cry. That's the deepest cry of King David, that he needs this new heart, a pure heart. And one of the things, you know, there are only three people who are anointed in the Old Testament. King, priest, and a prophet. Three people had the Holy Spirit. The rest of the public, they did not have the Holy Spirit. But today, every one of us who believes in Jesus has the Holy Spirit in us. And that's why he says, uh, do not cast me away from your presence. And he says, and take your Holy Spirit from me. If you grieve the Holy Spirit, he can leave you. If you silence the Holy Spirit, he will become silent. And he can be silenced, he can be grieved, and he can be shut out. But we have to open our eyes and say, Lord, I'm sorry. When you say sorry to God, when you repent, God will forgive you and reinstate the Holy Spirit in you. The voice of the Holy Spirit that is stopped will revive again if we confess. If for a week I don't hear anything from God, I'll always say, oh, okay, one week is over. I have not had any revelation from God. The Holy Spirit has not spoken to me. Why? And I will sit down and think, okay, I said this, or I did this, I did this. Or sometimes even we may 
grieve him by our own attitude to him, his work in us, by saying certain things. I heard about a man who was moving mightily in signs and wonders. He would pray for cancer, cancer would be healed, everything was happening. And one day he says, I have done everything that I, a man can do, I am yet to raise the dead. And the anointing ceased from that day. Next day he prays, nothing happens. Why? He thought he was doing things by his power. He did not give glory to God. So pride comes. Holy Spirit is silenced when we have pride in our hearts. So we need to turn to God and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was Martin Luther. Every night at bed, bedtime, he will ask the Lord on bed, forgive me my sins of commission and my sins of omission. Sins of commission is what you should not be doing, you do. Sins of omission is not doing what you should be doing. If you go with that sentence, every night we have something to confess. There's nothing, you cannot sleep without confession if you go by the standard. If you go by the standard of Martin Luther's prayer. I think I must close now. We are coming. And he cries out, save me from the blood guilt, O God, and God who saves me. And when, when Prophet Nathan came and confronted King David, and he said, I have sinned against the Lord. First words that King Nathan, I mean, Nathan the prophet says to you, you will not die. You will not die. God has forgiven you. If Nathan has not said those words, the King David should be tried and put to death. Because of adultery and murder. But God forgave him. But it does not mean he did not go through consequences. The sword will not leave your house. One of the words Prophet Nathan says. The sword killed four of his sons. First, Bathsheba's son. And then you got Absalom and two other sons were killed. So sin will have its consequences, run through its consequences in our life sometimes. But I tell you one thing. I have experienced God's mercy in my own life. I can tell you clearly, God does not punish us according to the sins that we commit, that, that we deserve. He doesn't come punish us. He deals with us in his tender mercy. He deals with us with love. Not every punishment is being punished now, straight away. Because God is showing mercy and grace. He's waiting for you to turn to him. So let us bring it to a close now. Because we're running out of time. Shall we close our eyes? Whatever we have done, whatever is the past, bring the past under the blood of Christ. Turn to him now and say, Lord, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew your right spirit within me. Cry out from the bottom of your heart. God will touch you now, straight away. Not after one hour, not after two, not tomorrow. Right now, he will change your heart. This is the promise of the new covenant. promise of the new covenant is that he will write the laws on your heart. Not in a book. And that simply means he gives you ability to do what is right, according to his word. You can receive it now. You can receive it now. Bring that sin that is separating you from God. Bring that sin that has become a curse 
in the family, in work, in your finances, whatever it is that has, you have opened the door to a devil, close the door now by confession. Close the door by confession. And the Lord will forgive you, wash you in his blood, and pour out the Spirit into you in a new way. He will visit you and refresh you. He will visit you and refresh you. Can someone play that song for us? Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Thank you. As that song is being played, I want you to deal with those. Talk to God. Talk to God. Heart to heart. Your heart talking to the heart of God. Talk to his heart and tell him how sorry you are. And ask him to restore the joy of his salvation. The joy of his salvation. Restore whatever needs to be restored. Relationships, job, everything needs to be restored. And that restoration, God will begin today. He will begin today in your life. And if you want me to pray for you and the song is playing, you can come to the front, we will pray for you. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for your word. We bless your name, exalt your name. That word has not changed to create a new heart in our hearts. So I pray right now, Father, for everyone who is silently praying in their own hearts. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew right spirit within me. That has been answered. You have pressured the precious blood. So I bring them under the blood of Christ. Every heart be made clean right now. Every conscience that is guilty be made free right now. Be loosed. Be set free right now in Jesus' mighty name. The power of the Satan be broken. The voice of Satan be broken in your heart right now. Whoever is listening to the voice of the enemy, be silenced now. Let the voice of the Holy Spirit dominate in your heart. And silence the voice of the enemy in your life. Those who are having a problem with the sleep, I bind that power that makes you sleep longer. I bind that power right now over your life. Be loosed in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you, Holy Spirit, you are blessing each one here. I thank you for your fire that is alighting upon them. That fire, fire, fire is coming on you. It's coming on you. Open your heart and receive the fire of the Holy Spirit. Receive, receive the cleansing fire. Cleansing fire, cleansing fire, cleansing fire. Touch them now in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you for speaking to us through your word. We worship you, we honor you, bless your name. Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us at Omega. If you need prayer for healing or breakthrough, or simply to find out more, please head to our website or Facebook page in the links below.